Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is Wednesday, October the 19th, and this is episode 766. I got a cool show for you today. Uh, this is uh, going to be an episode with Jacob Lund Fisker, blogger and author of the book and the blog, both called Early Retirement Extreme. I have a cool forum over there, lots of cool stuff we're going to talk about today. I'm going to give you two warnings on this show. Jacob, at one point in his interview, uses the dreaded F word. He uses it twice. It is an explicit show. I've marked it explicit in iTunes. Doesn't happen often. Uh, occasionally, I use some four-letter words. I choose not to use that one, uh, but I do not censor my guests, and I felt that he was making a point with it. Uh, the second warning, so that's for you parents with kids that don't want them to hear that, now you know. If you don't want to hear it yourself, now you know. The second warning is Jacob is a physicist who is retired and been retired for three years, and he's in his 30s. So that means he knows an awful lot about how to retire. He's not the most, uh, I would say he was the best presenter we've ever had on the show. Uh, he drifts a little bit at times. Uh, I try to bring him back into it. Uh, but the wisdom is extensive. So, uh, please, uh, realize that not everybody is a radio talent. I just wanted to say those two things up front. He is an amazing author and I definitely highly recommend his book and I'll be bringing him on in just a second. Before I do that though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one, Harvest Eating. Harvest Eating is run by the illustrious Chef Keith Snow. You know, I talk about all kinds of really cool stuff that you can cook and make part of, uh, of your homesteading and, and your, you know, from, you can get from your CSAs and all these different unique vegetables that maybe we don't find at Kroger or, or things like that and all these different seasonal things that we can grow and extend our growing season. But then I think a lot of people sit there and they look at it and go, okay, yeah, well, I've never really cooked kale before. I'm not sure what to do with this. Uh, or I've never cooked radicchio, or I've never used, you know, whatever, you know, frisee or, or what have you, or lamb's quarters from, you know, wild harvesting. Well, Chef uh, Keith Snow teaches you how to cook seasonally and locally, focuses on technique over recipe, and that way you can take this stuff and turn it into great food that your family would be happy to eat, and make sure you're eating the nutritious food from your local environment in a seasonal manner, the way I believe humans are supposed to be. Uh, so check out HarvestEating.com, and if you haven't gotten Chef Keith Snow's book yet, consider getting it. I'll tell you, it's not just a great collection of recipes and things that you can cook. It's a beautifully put together book that would make, you know, it's like an awesome coffee table book. Uh, I can't really recommend it highly enough. Next up today, silverandgoldshop.com. You know, there's a lot of places you can buy silver and gold. You can buy them down at the end of your street, uh, where they say we buy and sell gold and it's like a, you know, like a gas station or something like that. Uh, you can go to major big sites like Atmex and Monex, and both of them are great sites. I have nothing against them. Or you can deal with a small business like silverandgoldshop.com where you know the name of the owner, Mary Beth Maidmont who does such a great job of providing exceptional service to people that I get emails telling me, Mary Beth is wonderful. I get those emails almost weekly. So it's up to you where you buy silver and gold. I recommend you definitely make it part of your portfolio. Remember, I recommend somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to 10% of your wealth held in, in, in smart assets, hard assets like silver and gold. 
Also, the you know the Christmas season's coming up. I really recommend that you consider putting some silver and gold into the hands of those kiddos out there, and uh, instead of Chinese plastic crap toys that they'll be done with in a couple weeks, and talk to them about how silver and gold grow with value, just as they will grow in value if they work hard and do the things they need to, be, need to do to become great adults. It's a great way to bring those two worlds together, and I can't think of a better place to buy my silver and gold than silverandgoldshop.com with Mary Beth Maymont. Uh, next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, the forum. Uh, those are all great ways to stay in touch with me. Uh, I did have a, a listener come up, and we started working on some video projects tomorrow. A lot of video will be coming in the future, so make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Um, I also want to let you guys know something, kind of a really cool thing, and I'll be letting you know this at the beginning of most episodes from now on. I am now featured on the Prepper Podcast Network. My show will be airing there Monday through Friday uh, between the hours of 3 to 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. So TSP is now on the Prepper Podcast Network. You can find the Prepper Podcast Network at PrepperPodcast.com. And uh, they always have something streaming there. And they have a lot of cool ways that they're able to reach a larger audience. So it's good for them. They get some exposure on my show. And it's good for me because I reach people that otherwise wouldn't have found me. So uh, check them out. They have some great shows over there. Of course, uh, that's where Doc Bones and Nurse Amy, who we've had on the show, uh, air their show. So uh, check out the Prepper Podcast Network. Next up today, remember, the way I actually pay the bills around here is with the Members Support Brigade. That's how I really keep the lights on in the office and keep the shows coming out. That's where you support the show at a whopping 20 cents an episode. So if you get more than two dimes worth of value out of every episode of Survival Podcast, consider joining the Member Support Brigade today. Remember, military, law enforcement, and Peace Corps, you will uh, get a special national service discount that applies to your recurring membership as well and is usable at all membership levels. If you email me first with the uh, kind of the details of your service, uh, just you know who, when you served or where you're serving and what your job is. Don't try to write a whole CV or resume for me, just a little brief blurb. Hey, I serve with the, you know, Unit XYZ in this place from these years. That's all I really need. Don't photocopy your ID and send it to me or anything like that. Some of you guys have done that. It's not necessary. All right, with that, we've got the uh, housekeeping wrapped up, and uh, let's go ahead and get on to our main topic today. All right, folks, as I said during the introduction segment, we're fortunate to have with us Mr. Jacob Lund Fisker, author of Early Retirement Extreme, and a really cool blogger, a guy I heard about from a listener, I don't remember who, but uh, picked his book up. Gave it a read, really liked it, mentioned him on an episode. One way or another, we got connected after that, and I asked him to come on the show, and, and he agreed to do so. He's a pretty interesting dude, man. He's, he's from Denmark, and his past life, he was a theoretical physicist, and now he is a guy that's, uh, in, at least in his definition of things, retired at the age of 36 and has been for a while, teaches other people how to do that, and he's here with us today to talk about these concepts. Hey, Jacob, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you very much. You know, I, uh, I when I read a book on retirement, I, I, I read in uh, you know all these different books that I've read on the subject, and most of them are about how to manage your money in a 401k account so you can retire early. I think you call that like the boomer concept of retirement, and uh, your book's very different. It's a much more what I mean by retirement. But if we just start out with what do you, what do you mean by retirement? What is it to you? Well, I mean, retirement is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, I, I get a lot, well, I get occasional comments from people who, uh, when I talk about what I do and how I did it, they'll, they'll tell me, well, you're not retired, you're, you're, you still have a blog, or you still do this, or you're not doing that, so that's not retirement. And I think a lot of that uh, is due to uh, 
the specific age group or the specific specific generation people come out of. Um, and my my theory is that well um, that different uh, different generations have different views of of, of retirement. Uh, if we, for instance, start with the with the with the GI Joe generation, those that came out of World War II, they had like a completely destroyed world, so to speak, and they wanted to work really hard to make sure that this never happened again. So they started basically from from scratch building the world, and so they've been working all their life to 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 make a better world. Um, and at their retirement, basically basically means that. They have run out of energy. They're ready to be put out to page to go to a retirement home. They're, they're sort of done working. And so, so they will be telling me that, well, you still have so many years left. Why are you retired, right? Um, for boomers, uh, the boomer generation, that replacement, they were essentially made to manage the world that, that the G.I. Joe generation created. And so they have, they have sort of put in put in their time, and they work for the same company for for many many years doing their thing, and then they're rewarded. Sort of age sixty was that then they could get to do all the things they didn't do while they were working. They didn't have the time for it. So for them, retirement is well, got to go out and have fun, travel to all the countries you never traveled to before. You go to Disneyland, you go you know to the Caribbean and sail around there, and so on and so forth. Now I'm. 36 now. I retired at 33, and so that pretty much puts me at the tail end of Generation X. And what we saw was we were told to work pretty hard, but there were not really that many opportunities for us in the same way. So we had to kind of, you know, shove our resumes around. We saw outsourcing. You know, we got kind of put in situations where we had to compete with each other. And at, at, at some point, I would say retirement to us is, is, is more what I, I, I don't know if this will make your make make this pod, pod, podcast explicit, but but retirement to us is more a question of of, of uh, financial independence, not having to work, and 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 essentially the concept of of what is called fuck you money, which is, which is kind of like money you need to have in order to tell your boss that. <laughs> Well, fuck you! I'm not going to do this anymore. Got you. So, yeah. so, so that's that's kind of what I think of retirement. It doesn't mean that I'm out traveling. It doesn't mean that I I don't have anything else to do. It just means the freedom from having to go to work every day. Got you. And I kind of feel the same way. We were chatting about this before we got started today. That I think most people look at me and say, "Well, Jack's running a business," and I do. I run a business. I show up pretty much every day. Uh, but I don't really feel like this is work anymore. There's a lot of time that I put in, but it's I do some with my time anyway, and the bills are paid. So I kind of look at myself in this like nebulous world of like semi-retirement. Yeah. Uh, I work half as much as I used to, and I enjoy what I do now. And I think it's really very personal to people what retirement means. And I think some of the people would read your book and say, I don't maybe want to go to that extreme, as you call it. But right. I think they can learn a lot from, well, what what do you want? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I I didn't I didn't write a book uh, with the it's it's not it's it's not the kind of book of I did it and so can you by you know copying whatever I did. It's it's more it's it's much more of a of of a, how, how to think about retirement and and financial concepts in general. Essentially, how to run your personal and family life. Uh, so it's 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 very much a. Uh, how do you say a manual to manuals or a design manual where where people uh, 
how do you say, supposed to take the different parts and put them together in a in a in an optimal way to design a system that works very well. And if you you have essentially a system that's designed well, it's, it's it generally means that it runs very efficiently, and and in that sense, you get a lot more out of it compared to an inefficient design. And and, and that's like one thing that has allowed me to kind of not need to have a job anymore. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting you use the word design. Uh, When I talked about your book the first time in the air, I mentioned that I believe that you must be a student of permaculture. because, And you hadn't said the word and you hadn't talked about growing anything in the book yet. It was just about lifestyle and the way to put it together. And I saw that correlation very, very clearly and it makes me think of your book like a permaculture book for lifestyles because, like, if I take the design manual from Bill Mollison, it doesn't tell me to plant, you know, parsley and borage together. It, right. it, it tells me this is how you design a system, and you put whatever you want into it based on where you're at, what you want to get out of it, et cetera. And I kind of see your book and your whole modus operandi that way. That's that's what you're telling people. These are all the these are all the inputs and the outputs. You stick this in, you get this out. So now you take that knowledge and actually do something with it with a with a plan of a means to an end versus just kind of fumbling through it as you go. Right. Yeah. It's it's a very it's 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 on the strategic level, um, not the tactical level, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect uh, sense. Yeah. Um, so so but but that also means that it it, it kind of requires you to have a tactical understanding. So you need to know, you know, how to how, how to make a budget and how to. Uh, I don't know, fry an egg. So basic things, you need to know that first, and then you can start designing. I would say in, in terms of permaculture, I actually read uh, the Bill Mollison's design manual uh, about the time I kind of got into this whole thing, uh, around 2001. And most of it kind of just went over my head, I must admit, because I didn't have any any gardening experience at all. So, But presume that you already have gardening experience, and then you read the design manual, you can start thinking about the bigger picture of, of, of how to do things. And, and my book is sort of like this, the, the design manual of, of personal finance, if, if, if that makes sense. And um, the concepts of, of, of design are very much similar from, from field to field. It's, 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 not, it's not like permaculture in the sense is, 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 is at the peak of, of, of design thinking and everything else follows from that. It's, it's a very much more general way of, of systems thinking. And, and permaculture is like one thing, personal finance is another thing. And if you go into business, you have like operations, ma- operations management, which is also a form of systems thinking. You have huge, huge economic models, uh, which, which, which are also, uh, Based on a systems thinking approach, and you you have uh, like uh, management stuff, like uh, uh, the fifth principle. Um, so um, it's 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 all a form of of of, of syst- applied systems thinking. Sure, I mean I, now that I'm thinking about it, there was one word in there that tipped me off to the whole inner inner relationship, and it was you mentioned something like about society reaching a climax stage. And I think that's what, like, that one word, like, like was, like, tripped my radar. Uh, and, and what do you mean by that, like, the, the, this, like, climate? Because I, I think I know, but I want to be sure. All right. So uh, a climate state is, is, is a permanent and stable plateau you reach in pretty much any evolving system. So you have it in um, 
you have it in nature, for instance, where you start with barren rock and then uh, after one point you have the first population, which is something like moss and lichen, uh, which is then followed by weeds, which feed off the first generation. And the weeds kind of evolve. You start having small, uh, like, uh, tr- uh, fir trees, uh, which are then followed by more mature trees and that they kill, or they feed on and kill the previous systems. And as you go on, you make a uh, more and more complex system, a more, much more resilient system than the first one. Uh, and and the, the eventual system will end up being very efficient, in a sense. You see the same way, uh, same thing in, in urban planning where you start with, you know, farmland, then you build out a few, uh, few streets into the farmland, you put up, you know... Um, Developments like suburbia, which have, you know, just cheap houses that are quick to build. Um, then you start putting in shops. Like hopefully you'll start putting in shops and you'll eventually tear down the houses and build high-rise, high-rise uh, buildings. And then, then you'll develop into into a full-fledged sit, uh, city. You will have the same thing in the generational approach I just spoke of. Um, so with, with one generation starting from nothing and then the next one managing what the first one builds, the next one working for the managers of the previous one, the, the, the fourth generation will then kind of not even have access to labor and then everything crashes again and then you restart over building a new society. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I could, I could go on. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what really hit me when I read that is climax defined is is a plateau, and there's only one place to go next, and Mm -hmm. that's into systemic collapse and then a rebuilding. And nature does this over thousands of years, uh, many thousands of years, but we do it over a few generations, and. Uh, that's why I do my show, and I think that's why you know, the frugality that you bring to the table is so important because I think that's where we're at. We're in this this complex system that seems to have tremendous resiliency, but it's also sort of run its course, and it's time for a, a new cycle to begin. And that puts a lot of us that are in our age bracket in a really tough place. We don't get the fruits of the labor, so to speak, because the Social Security is not going to be there. And we're not getting to build highways or manage the highway systems. I thought that was hugely insightful when you mentioned that, like the GI Joes, the, the World War II generation basically came home and built the infrastructure, and the boomers came up being taught how to manage the infrastructure. And, and that didn't leave a lot of room when the boomers were still around for Gen X to do anything. And if it wasn't for the computers and internet, I don't know if they'd have anything to do at all. Right, right, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're, we're essentially right now in, in like the winter states of the of the contractive cycle, right? Economically speaking, so that's the the, econ- the economy as a whole also follows that cycle. So, um, f- from from the from the from a personal perspective, a personal finance perspective, I mean, my road has al- almost been like, well, you know, you, you you can't do it like they do, so you have to do exactly what they do, but you have to do it really quick. You have to get your retirement money faster than the boomers are managing to accumulate there, so at least you'll. You won't go down with Generation X. You'll go down with the boomers instead, right? <laughs> yeah, I got what you're saying. There. So, I mean, one of the things that we can do to make that happen is there's a you can only make so much money come in, and we have to. So, one of the big things we have to focus on is how much money goes out, and we call that savings. It's 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 a, it's a word that's actually 
coming back in vogue now. Uh, savings was like laughed at in the 90s, but people are actually seeing that maybe this is important now. So what kind of steps can a person take to start saving more? Yeah, it's, I, I, I would say um, I don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, definitely with the with the recession or depression or whatever you want to call it, double dip, uh, it's been, been more, how do you say, um, popular. That's probably not the right word, but saving is not something that you scoff at anymore. Uh, but but the usual uh, the, the 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 previous uh, recommendation was almost well, you shouldn't spend your time waste your time saving money. You should spend your time trying to earn more money. You know, start a second business and so on and so forth. Uh, what what I'm kind of what I realized is probably somewhat to do with with the career I was in where salaries and so on were pretty fixed and non-negotiable and so on. But if you're kind of in that middle zone where I would say you earn somewhere between, say, 15000 150000 there's not a whole lot you can do with your income compared to someone who earns, say, if you earn more than 150000 a lot of your income is probably bonuses and, and you're pretty close to uh, to the money stream, so you can you can have a large impact on your income if you put your put your focus there. If you're under fifteen thousand, you might not have realized all of your potential. So focusing on your income, you can also bring yourself up. But if you're right in the middle, there's much less. How do you say the return on effort of trying to increase your spending is not nearly as large as as your return on effort trying to decrease your spending. And, and what you really want is want to look at is the ratio, namely your savings rate. And what what people have typically been uh, been, been been taught to save, especially with 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 the way things have run previously, is like you, you're told to either you know get your six percent 401k match, or save ten to fifteen percent for retirement, and then after forty years with forty hours a week, you 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 can spend your money to replicate your your previous income. So one of the things I, I, I looked at those equations, and then and, and and they have certain presumptions. You know, you put in your savings rate of of of, of ten to fifteen percent, and then you put in your growth rate of of the economy. And these guys are typically like wildly optimistic. You know, like they they presume that the ten percent rise you had from essentially the 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 GI Joe generation and up until now will continue. For the next, you know, that basically the, the, the next 60 years on, on, on the markets will be like the previous 60 years, which I don't believe in. Sure, yeah, they promise <laughs> average return on good quality mutual funds. Right, right, yeah. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 percent. And, and we can we can make you safer by assuming eight and seeing what you really need to put in. And if Jay, exactly. John, if you put in X for this long, you'll get Y at the end and you can go to Disneyland. Or, or exactly, whatever. yeah. So, so what uh, if if you take those exact same equations and say, okay, what if I save thirty percent instead? You know, what does what does that do to my retirement age? Uh, and then and then you find, okay, if you save thirty percent, you could probably retire at some point in your like early fifties, mid fifties, like fifty five. And that's what you know the boomer generation calls early retirement. If you increase it to fifty percent. By, by decreasing essentially your spending by 50%, which is not a hard thing to do. I mean, we can get into that later. Then you move your retirement dates down to the 40, 40 year range, like 40 to 45, something like that. So, so what I did uh, was to start saving 85%, and that was of an income of uh, about 25,000. 
and that and 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 with those numbers you you essentially reach a point where where you spend less obviously because you're saving more and you're not you haven't done anything about your income but but the ratio then tells you that that you'll get to a point where where you can for the rest of your life have all your expenses paid by investment income at a withdrawal rate which is essentially a re- required return of investment of 3% corrected for inflation so 3% plus inflation gives you money for the rest of the life for the rest of your life if you save 85% in 5 years wow yeah <laughs> assuming you're keeping the spend where it was to get there in the first place but exactly yeah i mean you have to you have to take into account things like your your health insurance will probably go up as you age Sure. Obviously. So you, you pick the highest point and then you kind of plug that back into the equation. So I'm spending less now than I will be in like 30 years, right? But your, your concept of saving is like build the dam higher, right? I mean, so that you right. keep more of what comes in. And you think about it like if we have like a little tiny stream, just a, there's a little trickle coming down the mountain and we put in a dam, it can relatively quickly turn into a very large pond. And it yeah. makes me think of the one water dam up where I grew up in Pennsylvania where they had the overflow of the dam. And I can't remember the exact number, but basically this overflow was like a flat concrete sill. And they would take a 2 by 10 and it would fit in this slot, and they would add that 2 by 10 to the top of the sill. And it's just a board, you know. Yeah. And it was some ungodly number of, you know, hundreds of thousands of gallons that would additionally be held back by sticking this one 10-inch piece of wood right. on top of the sill. And so it, it really shows what a small amount in can do if we you know, save it up over time. Yeah, I mean, on, on the other hand, I would also say that with, with I mean, that's, that's, as far as I understand, kind of like the compound thinking. Sure. If, if you wait enough time, then one dollar turns into like five dollars. So if you save, you know, I don't know, one dollar a day for a long time, it'll turn into way more than you thought it would. But if you only have five years to do it, compound interest is actually not doing very much for you because there's just not very many years to compound for you. So you have to stop the outflow. You have to stop the outflow. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good way to, to put it. And I would also say, from like a uh, the way to stop the outflow is to look at the Pareto principle. Typical frugality, how to save money advice, tends to focus on all the little things. You know, uh, take showers, which are you know five minutes short, and you'll save this much water over the next twenty years or whatever. Use less toilet paper. I don't know, make your shoelaces last long. You know, there are also like thousands of tips of little things you can do. But to me, that's just way too much effort to think about all these things. It's much better, I would say, to 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 uh, realize that your your budget probably follows some kind of power law, which is and, and the Pareto principle is is a special case of, of a power law. It essentially says that it's it's like the 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 eighty twenty principle that that says that like 20% of your budget entries probably account for 80% of your expenses. And the rest of, of, of the other 80% of, of, of your expenses only uh, comprises 20% of your total budget. So that's kind of like the long tail. So, so if you look at a very typical budget, you say, how much do I spend on housing? Well, most people spend like 30% on housing. That's what they're told to Correct. do, right? 
And if you go into like the Bureau of, of Labor Statistics, they, ha- they, they have this um, average American family, you know, <laughs> and they give you very detailed what, what the average, uh, it's uh, the average American family unit, it's 2.1 people. Um, and 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 it gives you all these numbers what 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 they spend on and 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 if you look at those you get about thirty percent for housing twenty percent for transportation that's gasoline car payments insurance about ten percent for food something like that okay, so, so if you add food, if you add food transport and housing we're at sixty percent sixty percent yeah I mean that means you're pretty much already there if you can reduce those 60% through some kind of clever design, right? So so the first thing you can do is look at transportation. I think that's the easiest thing to deal with, yeah. which means um, when you look at where you live, most people or many people will live somewhere out in the suburbs and they'll spend every day, you know, commuting one or two hours. So I would, I would say to, to reduce transportation, what I usually do is I looked at where I worked and then I went into Google Maps or you can you can get a city map and then you kind of print out you, you take you know a pin and you take a piece of thread a line and then you draw a two or three mile radius that's the area where you should be living inside of in, in, and then you find a place where you're within three miles of your work and you're also within three miles of shopping and if you do that you can get rid of at least your own car compared to that work if you have like a two Income family, well, maybe the other one needs a car, but you can you can ditch one car. Uh, you can save twenty percent more now, which for people you know who used to be saving ten to fifteen percent will put them now in the thirty to thirty five percent range, which again will give them their financial independence at age fifty five. Then there's some design principles about that. Okay, so instead of driving your car, you're now riding your bike or you're walking, or at the worst you're taking public transportation. Well, that kind of means that you can cut your gym membership out because now you're getting free exercise. That that gives you a little extra boost. So that that kind of we can maybe maybe we can talk about later. I kind of kind of call it a web of design goals where you where you where you try to accomplish several goals at the same time with only one action, and you kind of try to weave them together into in, into a web. That's a very survival oriented principle, even like yeah. wilderness survival. If I if I go into the woods, I want I'm going to carry a knife, obviously, but I want to carry a knife that can function as a hatchet, do intricate work, uh, function for building other things. So I want a multifunctional thing. So you're saying same type of thing. I want to take an action that has a multifaceted uh, response to it, a multifaceted effect. Exactly, because then then it means that you only need to spend money on that one thing, and that one thing might even be free in terms of you know like walking to to work. I did that for uh, how long was that? Half a year, I walked uh, 10 kilometers a day, so what is that, like eight miles, seven, eight miles a day back and forth. Um, and that's kind of like a very meditative and relaxing thing to do, and you get really good at walking. I mean, it's, 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 all, it's all about, you know, how, how often do you do it. I mean, there's a, there's a whole range of, of what people t- say is, is a hard thing to do. Like like running five kilometers, you know, if you're if you're like a couch potato, that's a really hard thing to do. You know, it's probably oh, running is all about you know perspiration and sweating and side stitches and being out of breath. Whereas if you go to like an an athlete, you know, five kilometers, well, sure, you know, I don't even need to put my joggers on; I'll just run it right. So um, so that's 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 with 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 the with the transportation now. When you're already looking 
at at where to live. The next the next thing to look at is 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 your housing, your your thirty percent uh, outgoing uh, budget entry. And a lot of people have been told, yeah, you, you should buy as much house as as, as you possibly can, right? Um, and what happens with with housing is is the way we kind of kind of think about products. It's gotten to be a point, and that kind of became somewhat obvious to me when I came over from. Uh, I actually went to grad school in Switzerland, but it's kind of like the European philosophy in terms of consumerism is probably lagging that of the U.S. by about 10, 15 years. Consumerism, you very much have this. Uh, philosophy that everything becomes a product. So if you have a problem, uh, you go out and buy a solution. So, so the, my my first example f- for that was when when I when I met my wife and girlfriend back then. They wanted to do a, do a barbecue, but they didn't have any any way of of, of heating uh, you know the meat, so the vegetables. So in uh, what I was used to, okay, you don't you don't you don't have a you don't have a propane grill uh, a, a coal a brick coal grill. So uh, what I would have done is you go gather some gather some rocks and then you would go into your oven and pull out pull out one of the plates and then you just kind of like spread the coals on the ground. You you light them. You put your you put the grate your, your your the grate you already have and then you're barbecuing. But they immediately you know say oh like let's start drive over to Walmart and buy a propane grill you know some propane then drive back again. So instead of Thinking about improvising a solution, you go out and buy a solution. The problem with that is if you kind of repeat that for all the problems you have, you end up with a whole lot of stuff. And, and, and you just kind of tend to accumulate stuff and stuff and stuff. And, and after a while, your house kind of gets full of all sorts of things. And you think, okay, this feels cramped in here. I need to move. This house is no longer big enough for me. I need to get into a bigger house. And then you start the process all over. I mean, I live in uh, California now, and if if it's a really sunny day, you know, people will typically open their garages, and you can see that their garage is kind of like acts as an overflow reservoir for the stuff from the rest of the house. It's like nobody here parks their car in their garages because they're full of crap, essentially. So if if, if you kind of get out of that, that, that idea of um, buying products, then you can live in a smaller place because you don't need extra bedrooms, which you're not in anyway because they're full of full of things. And then you save money on the stuff, you save money on the housing, you save money on transportation because you live closer. So say you can cut your uh, cut your housing down from thirty percent to maybe ten percent of your of your outgoing. So that's twenty percent more. So that's forty percent. So now we're up on the fifty percent range, right? Which yeah. means you push retirement down to age, uh, financial independence, as I like to think of it, down to age 40. And I'm just going to ask a question to the audience yeah. out there right now. And we're all supposed to be survivalists. How many of you have ever actually thought, hey, I could pull the grate out of my oven and turn that into something to cook on with a few rocks and some wood in my backyard? And I bet most of you have not. And it's interesting how these two worlds overlap because what Jacob is talking about is improvising and adapting in a current system where it's not required that you do so and what we're always talking about is being prepared to adapt if we need to do so and the best way to be prepared to do without is to learn how to do without today when we don't have to we can do it by choice versus tomorrow when we have to do it by uh, let's just call it no choice I, I completely 
I mean, I utterly agree with that statement. It's actually something I had on my my short list of things I had to make sure to say, in a sense. Uh, but is this whole lit below you? I mean, survival to me is very much about living with less means, right? Absolutely. Living, living below your means is, is 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 a very good practice for living with less means. And I actually I actually got into this whole thing uh, back in. It, it was kind of. Um, it was a run together of several different factors, uh, which which happened uh, late 2001 for me. I just I just had a computer with the internet installed in my room. You know, that's always a bad combination for someone who reads a lot. So so um, I, I discovered the uh, uh, the the concept of concept of peak oil. The 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 fact that oil production is gonna gonna eventually peak and 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 then start a slow decline of about. Three percent a year. There was a lot of disagreement on, on the exact rate of decline, and people, some some thought that okay, it's going to be a slow decline. That's going to last decades. Other, others thought, you know, okay, gas prices are going to shoot up to ten dollars, and everybody's going to start to kill each other. And um, so, so, so previous to that, my kind of like idea of the future was was very much like what you see in Star Trek. You know, we're going to going to invent transporter technology and replicators and starships and whatever. So that's kind of like my idea of the future at the point. And then, and then I kind of see, I kind of got my eyes open, like, oh, shit, this could go really bad. You know, and I, I'm not, I'm like not prepared at all for this. And I was reading all these, you know, survival books and so on, how to, you know, like skin a rabbit and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, what, I mean, and, and, and at the same time, I was fairly limited in what I could do because I was living uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a in a one room uh, dorm in the pretty much ten minutes away from my uh, from where I worked, and it was kind of hard to move out 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 in the country. Anyway, so what I did was uh, okay. So combine this with the fact that at the same time, I started learning about the financial system. And how things like mortgages and interests work, and how federal, you know, how reserve banking was working, and and then I kind of realized, hey man, if I go get a mortgage, a thirty-year mortgage, you know, I'm gonna get screwed over essentially because that's how they work, you know, they pump the price. I mean, if you give if you give like low interest rates to people, if you make low interest rates widely available, you're essentially financializing an object. And this has been done since the 60s. What has successfully successfully been financialized is pretty much uh, cars and houses. And as a result, the prices for those have gone way up. And and that essentially, with with if if you look at a typical mortgage, you 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 you'll be paying for your house not once but twice over. And I, I'm like I'm 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 like too tightwadish to to accept paying twice the price for the house just because I haven't saved my money. So I started saving my money for a house initially. And then at the same time, I started kind of like prepping for, 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 for the, for the peak oil thing. Uh, so now I kind of forget where I was going with this. So, but maybe you have a question. No, I mean, I just, I think that's actually fascinating. And that, that is something that, you know, we can all look at and, and, and see that, you know, history and the future, the perceived future, uh, short term, are showing to be absolutely true. We have seen the housing market crash, and it's a direct result of people no longer looked at the house as costing $250,000, 
And like you're saying, the real cost of that $250,000 house is more like a half a million to three quarters of a million, depending on the interest rate. They look at it as costing $1,500 a month or $2,000 a month or what have you, uh, plus taxes on it and everything else. So the, the house wasn't really being sold on its price, but on its payment. On and because value. of that, whatever you could afford is what you would buy. And it would, if you got bigger and better, so be it. And how anybody didn't see this coming, I don't understand because there can only be one result if you do that long enough. The real value has to start to show underneath. Uh, eventually, as soon as all people start to lose jobs and whatever, it's not that your house lost thirty percent of its value. It's that it was thirty percent overvalued, and exactly. and taking away the false uh, money showed the underlying value for what it was. Exactly. Yeah. And right now we have this problem. In, in, in I mean, that's 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 essentially a financial problem. Um, and, and in the U.S., we have essentially, I would say, the problem that Japan had with its real estate bubbles, where where you have where they they had and, and probably still have, in a sense, all kind of business. The 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 big the blue, the blue chips in Japan, the blue chip companies, were essentially so interlocked that none of them could be allowed to fail. And over here, we're kind of repeating that with the housing markets. We're not we're just not allowing houses to go down to what they should actually be valued at. But a bigger problem is that, okay, I mean, fin finan the, the financial system in itself is just a social construct. If, if you could kind of get everybody to agree on completely revamping the system tomorrow, it could in principle be done. I mean, sure. obviously there would be a lot of screaming and so on, right? But but it could be done. I mean, a much bigger problem is the lack of um, like like oil depletion. I mean, you can't go out to and go out to an oil well and say, "Give me more oil." You know, I'm willing to write a big check. You know, it's like you know, the oil is not gonna come out of the ground if it's not there just because you're waving around a big big check. Yeah, it makes me think <laughs> of the old saying, you know, you can't get blood from a stone. Yeah. And, and the reality is, you can't get oil from a stone once it's given you all the oil it's got, too. I mean. And we can all debate on how long it's going to take for peak oil to hit and what the decline rate is, et cetera. But what we do know is from a long-term bell curve to an abrupt drop, neither one of them is very good. Both right, of them yeah. suck, and both of them get worse over time. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 in my perspective. I mean, I, I kind of started out as a as a as a fast crash kind of person. But I've, I've kind of come to the belief that a, a decline in energy resources can be so slow that most people probably won't notice it. I mean, it's not like it's public knowledge that oil production peaked in 2005. I don't think that's public knowledge. It should um, be, but it isn't. It's not, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not it public knowledge it. that the, uh, the <laughs> chief geologist for the Saudi Arabian government sent uh, a, a communication to our Department of Energy that said, um, you know how we said we can up production anytime we want to? <laughs> yeah, um, we didn't really mean that. We're just saying <laughs> that. Uh, and that came out, of course, in the WikiLeaks thing. And everybody wanted to, you know, string up this Army private, Julia, Julia, uh, Julian Assange over. But that's like one of the, like, it's like society doesn't want to know because that's out there. And this isn't some conspiracy theorist on Coast to Coast AM or something. The head of the Department of Geology for Saudi Arabia's government says, we're there. We've, we, right. This is what we can do, and it's only going down from here. 
and no one seems to either want to know or actually know that stuff like this is going on. Exactly. I mean, it's it's like I mean, in two, it it kind of got got public public attention around uh, two thousand seven eight when uh, when prices were going up to like one hundred and fifty dollars a barrel. And then they went down again, and people kind of forgot about forgot about it. But oh, that pe- we did that already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's over. Like that's the same thing with the natural disasters. There's an earthquake in Haiti. I wrote a check to the Red Cross like six months. They can't still be dealing with that, can they? That's just the mentality that we're in today. So it, I kind of want to move toward you know the completion of this is what's the solution for people? If you had to, you know for the person out there that's saying okay. Um, I'm, I'm with the preparedness mindset. I'm with the frugality mindset, but the numbers just don't work for me. Uh, we've talked about transportation and, and where you live. Are there other ways people can look at, you know, stopping the outflow, so to speak? Well, so so I also mentioned the idea of getting away from the from the product mentality, the the, the consumerism mentality um, of trying to, whenever you have a problem, go out and buy something. It, it's kind of like uh, like um, it's like if I mean I've heard you say on on your podcast from 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 time to time like like if you have a gun you don't have ammo you just have essentially like a heavy block of metal right you got a very expensive club exactly yeah <laughs> uh, if you have the gun and you have the ammo but you don't know how to shoot it it's not a huge difference from having a block uh, from from having a from having a club of of metal correct so 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 if you look at the how do you say uh, if, if we stay in the analogy, if you look at the weapon system, it kind of starts with it it, 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 it kind of goes from the ammo, the bullet that eventually hits the target to the gun to the person who's shooting the gun. So that, that, that's your complete weapon system. So if you take that kind of progression, the idea is that you move as much as you can into the person, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't make sense for the gun because you can't really shoot a bullet out of your finger, right? But if, if you go, uh, if you look at the barbecuing scenario, thinking about just picking up a few rocks from the garden, forming them in a circle, and then going into the, into your oven after for, for, for the grate, then you kind of move the idea of barbecuing into your head and away from the, from the, from your, from your $100 propane grill. Right. So, so the more you can move, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, the more you know, the less you need, right? So, correct. So, so focus on the operator over the equipment. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I mean, it, it's really, it's, it's much, it's much easier to sell the people on, like, well, you don't have to think. You just buy a product. I think, I think it's kind of like a general sentiment that 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 many people don't just don't like to think. Sure. Uh, it sounds a little harsh, but I think that's kind of right, like the reality of things. I think it's one of the unintended consequences, and uh, you know, I'm a capitalist, so I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but it's one of the unintended consequences of capitalism is that there's a lot of people out there that develop a product not because there is a need for it, but because they think somebody will buy it. The only reason they is like, can I, can I position this product in a way that people will consume it whether they need it or not. If we think about the entire process of a grill, even what you said, pulling the grate out of the oven, uh, cooking food over fire predates man's understanding of how to bend metal in the first place. So for a long time, society was able to burn meat over coals uh, with no grill, not even the one out of the, the oven. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could just take like a, a wooden stick or something and put it on sure. that and over the fire. Uh, I don't know if I'll, I'll blame... I mean, I think I think 
big a problem that that causes this line of thinking is 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 the problem of specialization. In in the sense that now everybody is kind of like trained to be a be essentially like a replaceable cog in, in the in the big business machine. Correct. Which 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 means that okay, you're told you know you become you know become a better 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 specialist, so we'll pay you more. And and this all happens at at at, at the expense of um, knowing anything else about anything, almost. I mean. I've, I've, I've seen people being very impressed with themselves the first time they learned to fry an egg. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? You know, but no, that's serious. <laughs> they never learned to, 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 to fry an egg, you know. And, and we can go, go back to kind of like if you, if you look at the three big expenses, you know, housing, transportation. The third one is food. Sure. And, and out of food, half of it is spent on eating out. And a lot of that happens because people simply don't know how to cook well enough to, 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 how do you say? Enjoy their own cooking. So, so there's there's definitely like several thousand dollars worth of recovery there by, but just by learning how 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 to cook, and and that's also kind of like, uh, in a sense, good preparation for a long slide, uh, because it's, uh, I mean I I'm I'm mostly a bean and rice guy. I don't know if that makes any that that that's probably not that important. That comes out of historically being a vegetarian for a long time. I eat a little meat now, but not a lot. But but those two things are like they cost almost nothing to to prepare, and it's all about you know uh, if if you just take some beans and cook those, and take some rice and cook those, and you smash them together and put ketchup over over them, that's terrible, right? <laughs> most of that most of that stuff is 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 in exactly how long do you cook the beans? You know that makes a huge difference. Most people don't know that it would see. I mean it's it it takes it takes like a little. You need to kind of develop a neck for it, if, if that makes sense. Uh, and then you need to learn how to use spices properly. Again, you kind of take an approach to cooking that is more in a sense of understanding cooking than following a recipe. Absolutely. And we've had quite and, a few chefs on that have said just that. And kind of backing up a little bit, though, when you were talking about the specialization and the problem with it, here's what I was thinking when I was reading your book and you were talking about how specialized people become and they become like, you know, like a cog. And if, if the, the engineer shoots himself, quits, or gets hired by somebody else, you just stick another one in there and the machine keeps running. And for all the value that we place in a college education and being highly specialized, if I take two businesses, and one's a ranch, right, and one is a computer uh, design firm, and in the computer design firm, a highly specialized uh, manufacturing engineer uh, dies. I can put his resume out on a job board like Monster, and in a day have 80 people with his qualifications, I can give them the basic overview of the, the business and stick them back in there, right? Now, the ranch hand, right, that if something happens to him, and he's like my key guy on the ranch that takes care of mending my fences, uh, does veterinary work that's not where I need to call the, the vet in, knows the trees, knows the, the land, knows the cattle, knows all that stuff, but never even graduated high school, if he dies, I've got a problem. Right. And we in society would look at the ranch hand and say he's far less educated than the specialist. But the specialist is um, what's the word I'm looking for? Modular. 
right? Right. I yeah. can pop him out and pop somebody in just like him. And yeah, there's guys that are at the very top level, but I only need a few of those. And I can have a massive company of five thousand of these guys. I can move around on any given day. The company keeps going. But that one, uh, you know, undereducated ranch hand. Uh, it might take me years to find someone that has his level of knowledge and breadth of knowledge, and that guy's probably doing. He, he's probably doing it for somebody else. It's actually a lot harder to replace that jack of all trades uh, than it is to replace that highly specialized person. And in a sense, it's. Uh, but 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 I would say then it's it's just as easy to become a jack of all trades as it is to become the specialized person. So so if you spend like three, I mean, I would say I spend. I think it's easier. So the question, the question then, Jacob, is why do so many people choose to become the specialized, easily replaceable person instead of this 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 multifunctional? You call it the modern Renaissance man. Why why don't people choose that anymore? It's it's very hard to how do you say give a reason. I mean, from from this from the perspective of, of 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 the system. So to speak, the system that makes out all, uh, makes up all our traditions and cultures and, and, and how we do things. It's a much more effective, it's much more efficient for the system to have a modular build-up with easily replaceable cogs than, than, than it would be to have to, it's kind of like if you have to build, build a car, right? If you have to, if you had to learn to do all the things you need to do to build a car on your own, machining, uh, casting, um, how to make rubber, how to how to even mine the metals. I mean, there's there's some examples of a few people who have who have actually done that, and it takes them about two decades to build a car. And if you took like 200 people, you know, and have had had each of them build their own car and learn everything they needed to do, said 200 people, right? Then after two decades, you'd have 200 cars. Whereas instead, if you made some kind of if 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 you went with the specialized approach, and you you teach person A to press this button, person two to press another button, and you know weld a little here and so on and so forth, they can produce far more than two hundred cars over two decades. So from the perspective of the system, that's the best way to do it. But what I think is that in their personal lives, people have gone a little bit overboard in that kind of thinking. You know, because the, the 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 frequent argument is like, well, I'm a lawyer, I make two hundred dollars an hour, so why should I cook my own food, right? But well, and even if you don't every night, at least you should know how. That's that's why yeah. for a lawyer you can't make a freaking egg, right? right so yeah. like, I look back to like the GI Joe generation, right? That's the you you call it the guys that came home from World War II that fought the war. I think of like my grandfather. And he had a job, right? He was a carpenter. And that's what he did. And if you wanted him to frame something, you could frame it and what have you. And that was what he went off and did for his, to earn his bread every day. But if we were out on the river with the, and the boat and the motor would start, give the guy a flathead screwdriver and one tool and he's going to get the motor to run to get you at least back to shore. Uh, if, if something went wrong at the house with the garden, he could figure it out. Like, it, they kind of worked. That generation of me did both sides of things, like they had this multi-depth yeah. renaissance lifestyle on, on, on the personal life, and then they had their skill set, but yet even like a carpenter, right? So if like when he got laid off from being a carpenter, he could go work for a cabinet manufacturer, or he could go, uh, he could basically do just about anything in a construction world as a carpenter. So even his profession was multidisciplined. 
where now if you are a guy that works on uh, a specific, specific type of uh, programming language for a specific system that the U.S. military uses, you might have to go all the way back to ground zero from a study standpoint to get another skill set if that system stops being used. My response to that is um, aside, the problem is that we often hire and, and we we have no choice but to hire an expert even if we want to do simple things. Like uh, say say your toilet gets clogged or something like that. And then you need to call in a plumber and he'll be charging, you know, I don't know, $150 an hour or something. For, for something that's really, I mean, because you're essentially buying his combined expertise to do a, uh, a very simple job that you could easily learn to do yourself, you know. And uh, same thing, you know, with car repairs. A lot of them are, in a sense, simple, like an oil change or something. If you if you take your bicycle to a bicycle mechanic around here and you say, well, I want a tune-up, I want a complete tune-up, he'll charge you 200 bucks for that, for, for what is essentially tightening a few nuts with with a few specialized tools. So so what we've kind of lost um, with 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 all this excess uh in my opinion it's inappropriate specialization is that we have we have we have lost the basic knowledge of 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 I would say almost everything. I don't know if that's kind of like hyperbole but all the little things that should that that takes maybe I don't know you know a few hours to figure out how to how to fix yourself like you know like a broken washing machine what can go wrong with a washing machine well it's probably the engine either that either it's the engine or it's the belt and and you can you can check either you know you open it up and you see what's wrong you order the replacement part instead of hiring your 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 hundred plus dollar an hour expert to come in and fix it for you and by um, by kind of taking the attitude, well, instead of you know picking up the phone and and and, and calling in an expert, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do this myself. And in a great deal of cases, you kind of realize, well, this is actually pretty simple. I don't need to pay for an expert to come in. But the problem with the system, and essentially, is that we we we've kind of like divided everybody into experts in their little field and non-experts and everything else. Like there's there's very little generalized knowledge and how do you say a typical person on the the ideal is that we know everything about nothing and nothing about everything. Yeah, I I completely agree with that as well. Um, I guess like you talk a lot about like kind of the modern Renaissance type of lifestyle. I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Uh, what, what you mean by that, and what 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 do you do with your time? You know, I mean, you're you're in your your mid 30s and you're you know retired in in your view and in my view. Uh, but in your notes over to me, you're like, I don't take cruises in Spanish lessons, and I kind of see a little shot across the ferrets <laughs> there, right? Uh, yeah. But so what what do you, what do you think is like a valuable way for you to spend your time now? Uh, what do you do with your your freedom? Well, in in one sense, I mean, some of some of the stuff I do is similar to what you're doing for personal finance. I mean, I have my blog; it has about quarter million uh, page views per month now. I have a f- very active forum and so on. Uh, but but as you said, I mean, you spend you spend however many hours a day on this for you, like a couple of hours a day. Uh, for me, it's probably even less than that. Um, I do uh, do a lot of things that kind of like. I, I like to learn skill, uh, learn skills, new skills. That kind of fascinates me. Kind of like how some people might 
be fascinated by traveling to a new place. I'm fascinated by learning a new skill. So right now I'm learning essentially cabinet making or woodworking. Uh, I've learned how to fix bikes pretty much uh, up to the point of, of uh, starting from a, from a, a, up to the point of not being able to build my own frame. But if you give me a frame, I can put a bike together for you. Uh, I've learned how to sail. I mean, we're talking about three years here, so I've, I've learned how to how to sail. I typically last year I spent about every week one did one race weekly on a 35 foot sailboat as a crew, and we did pretty well there. Um, what else? I train martial arts three times a week, but I, I do lots of different things, and I, I kind of do them. I like to say I do whatever I want, whenever I want, within reason. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just to put it in perspective for people, how much, you know, what kind of an annual budget do you have to, to, to maintain that type of lifestyle? How much, how much does it cost to fund that? I spend, uh, six, six thousand dollars a year, uh, twelve thousand for the two of us, me and my wife. And then I spend, uh, one thousand on martial arts training. So seven thousand dollars for one person. So, it's like, but you and your wife together, you're at like thirteen grand there. Yep. Well, she spends a little on her stuff too, so okay. maybe fourteen. <laughs> but I mean, I think if you called it twenty, most Americans don't live that diverse and fulfilling of a life. Uh, and a lot of Americans are out there, you know, making eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand a year in a family of two. Uh, coming away at the end of the year with very little left, and they don't have anywhere near that quality of life. What what really makes the difference for you? It's it's the transportation is I mean it's it's all the things we we kind of discussed here. It's like we live right now we live in an RV and a lot of people say oh you live in an RV I don't want to do that but I mean uh, I've I've kind of computed the cost for living here and it would correspond to having a house of uh, with a value of about one hundred thousand. So we we just live in but but say say if you had your $100,000 house, our equivalent, and you owned it outright, you'd already be saving uh, half its price in interest. So that's kind of like the fourth, fourth big category after uh, after housing, transportation, food. The next one is interest payments and fees. So sure. naturally, we don't we don't pay any of those. Uh, but otherwise, it's uh, yeah, li- living living close to your work, so you need much less transportation. Not buying stuff all the time. Um, doing a lot of your own cooking, uh, not paying for services or for, for, for things, services you could easily do yourself if you, if, if you just knew how. Uh, okay, okay, so, so, so these, these, these are kind of the basic, basic things, I would say. If I, okay, I got, I mean, the, the, the interesting part is that, that people have kind of been trained to just look at, at the budget. So, you know, like we live under the official pow, pow, poverty line, poverty line. Which is which is really weird, but what the, the poverty line doesn't really take into account is the efficiency with with, your, with which you spend your money, right? So 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 you, you basically have you know like um, you 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 take uh, you take how much you spend and then you kind of you you ought to multiply that with an efficiency factor, and then you get your quality of lifestyle. But most people don't consider the fact that some people can say spend their money. 50% more efficient than they can, 100%, 200% more efficient. 
So, so from if from an, I mean, if 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 we compare our budget to, to to the budget of our neighbors, I mean, I bet they spend four times as much as we do, and they live in pretty much the same way. So, I mean, it's all about kind of like optimizing things, making things fit together, make sure that whenever you engage in some activity, that it's beneficial in like three different other ways. So everything kind of ties together, you know. If uh, you don't buy stuff. You don't spend as much money, and at the same time, you don't need as big as a house. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it all kind of comes back to this way of, of designing your lifestyle for, for, for maximum resilience and efficiency. Absolutely. So Absolutely. And, I mean, you talk about this stuff every day on your blog, right? Where can people find out more information about your book, your blog? What's your website address? Uh, the website address is earlyretirementextreme.com, and the, the the title of the book is the same uh, for historical reasons. <laughs> uh, there's a forum. There's a link on the blog to the forum. I would say a lot of the action these days is on the forum because I must admit I don't blog a whole lot about it anymore because I think I kind of feel that everything that needs to be said has already been said, and I don't like repeating myself a whole lot. So, so a lot of the blog posts are essentially reruns. Uh, we recently started uh, develop, developing a Wikipedia for various tips and tricks on how to how to save money. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we'll have to have people check that out. Yeah, I mean, one of one of the problems is 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 kind of like the same problem I had when I when I first read Bill Mollison's uh, design manuals. Like, you know, well, the concepts I get them. But I don't. Have, I have no idea how to implement them. Sure. Because sure. to me, gardening was throwing seeds in the ground, you know, and I didn't even know what came up. Uh, and and in the same way, a lot of it's it's kind of like high 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 concept level stuff. So if if you don't know the basics, it, it it's it's much harder to un, understand. You know, it, um, pedagogically speaking, people would often like to have an example. Instead sure. of saying, "Well, this is abstraction," you know, you just you know put it together with your, with what you already know. But if you don't if you don't know it, then you can't put two together, right? So that's that's why we started on the Wikipedia. Awesome, awesome. Well, I think it's going to be definitely a place folks are going to want to check out. Again, the website earlyretirementextreme.com and the book Early Retirement Extreme. Available on Amazon. I think that's where I got it. I got it on Kindle. Uh, you can get a hard copy as well, folks. Can't recommend the book highly enough. I think it'll change the way you think about things. And uh, being from a from a physicist, it's got a lot of diagrams and things like that that, <laughs> that change the words into thought pictures and help you uh, really gain a grasp of things. So, Jay, uh, Jacob, man, thanks for being with us today on the Survival Podcast. Well, thank you for letting me come on to your show. Well, folks, uh, with that, we are going to wrap up. Uh, I hope you, you know some of this stuff is kind of high-level conceptual thinking, but if you really listen to today's show in depth, I think you'll realize that um, there's it really just comes down to a choice and what we want and and how much of that we're willing you know to work for. I also think that one of the things that we really need to take away from this is you've got a, a man and his wife. Living below what the you know federal government would call the poverty level, but living a much higher quality of life than most people uh, in America currently are, making four or five times the the amount of money. And we need to learn from that because what I've been talking about recently with downward class migration is coming. It absolutely is. There's no way around it. 
the financial system's broken. And as Jacob said today, yes, we could fix it if we would all get into agreement and do that, but I'm not betting on it happening, and I, I don't think you should either. So learning to do less with more now is uh, a great way to uh, be able to continue to do that when there actually is less. So please be thinking about that. Check out Jacob's website again, earlyretirementextreme.com, and the book by the same name. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko today, along with Jacob Lund Fisker, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.